You're listening to a Thorn Creek Weekend Message Podcast. For more audio content and other resources, visit thorncreek.church messages. Good to be at church, everyone. Love being at church. So I'm excited. So I, I want to start off with, I went to, a, to a, a, a baseball game with my cousin, and, um, and the, the Rockies are like, they're, they're, this is like Moneyball. That's all it is, the Rockies right now. It's like Moneyball. And uh, they, they are finding a way to replace, you know, four players for Girardi or whatever. And uh, uh, this is Arenado, uh, or excuse me, Nolan Arenado. And um, we were at the game, and we were sitting down third base, and and uh, there was this uh, uh, father and a son, and, and they were sitting like, I don't know, in front of, in the first row in front of me, um, but like down, down like five rows. So they moved, they were sitting in the wrong seat, so the people who came got their seat, and they actually moved right like in front of me. And it reminded me a lot, actually, of me and my son when he was about five years old. This kid was about five, six years old, and the dad was there. And dad had some sort of physical uh, limitation. He was walking around with a cane, and just got the, the feeling that it was some sort of illness or something happened, but he wasn't able to, he wasn't standing or anything like that. He just stayed sitting. So we're watching the game, and the kid is dressed in Nolan Arenado's, you know, shirt, and he's got the cap on. The cap is oversized, and it's like tilted this way, you know what I mean? He's got this glove that you know it costs like all of 10 bucks. I mean, it's like a plastic glove, and he's just there. It wasn't even really like that, Matt. And he was just like that. And I'm looking at this kid, and, and I'm going to share with you something I'm going to get really, really, really personal. You may not believe this, but God speaks to me in, in really unique ways. And God just really spoke to me and said, uh, I want to bless this kid with a ball. <clears throat> so I lean up to him and I tap my, he's like the whole game, he's like, Nolan, Nolan. And the guy's not paying any attention. So I, I tap him and I said, hey, this is what you do. When, when the Toronto Blue Jays, when they go, when they go in, when they, when they go to bat, um, Nolan's going to come out and you go out, go out down the aisle and just walk all the way up. We were like six rows behind the, the you know, literally the field. So I tell him, just go all the way up to the, to the, and then he looks at his dad and his dad's like, it's okay, it's okay, you know, kind of thing. And in my spirit, I just knew God wanted to bless this, this kid. So he gets up at the right time and he goes down and he goes down to the very, very front and, and he keeps looking back at, you know, dad and, and me. And, and I, I said, there he is, there he is. He's like, no, no, I'm just a little kid. like, no, and then he looks back at, at, at his dad, and of course I'm there and, and, and mad and a bunch of, and I'm like, stay there, stay there, stay there. And he's ready to give up, and he takes like two or three steps like he's ready to come back to the seat like without a ball. And we're like, no, go back, go back, go back. And then he goes back, and literally like three or four times he goes back and forth, back and forth, and then he goes back, and then everyone in the whole section just starts screaming, no, Lynn, no, Lynn. I mean, literally like the whole little pool there, we all, we all get into it, and <clears throat> And, and Nolan just, this is a cool guy, he turns around, he looks at the whole section, and you know, we're, I'm pointing at the kid, and everybody else pointing at the kid, and he throws the ball up, and at first I thought it was going to be short, but I should not doubt a professional, it lands right in his glove. And the kid comes back like, like he just got a $10 million ball, and it was his superstar hero and all this stuff, and he comes back and he sits down, yeah. <clears throat> I know it sounds crazy. But in my spirit, I just knew God wanted to bless this kid with a ball. I, just, I know it sounds weird. I'm letting you into my private life. But I just felt that. You know what I'm saying? Does anybody else, does God speak to anyone else in like strange, weird ways like that? that, 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 that. Anyway, so this kid, he sits down. 
<clears throat> and I, I, I leaned up to actually when he came over, I said, okay, now give me the ball. And he looked at me, <laughs> he gave me the ball. I just wanted to look at it, but I was testing him just a little bit. <laughs> so I, I, I checked out the ball and I said, way to go, man, good catch. And I said, don't ever give up, don't ever give up, don't ever give up, man. Don't ever give up. His dad was beaming. I mean, just beaming, wasn't he, Matt? Just beaming. And uh, I looked at that kid and I thought, wow. So he was faced with this problem. He was calling out for Nolan and he wasn't looking. Just the stadium was loud and there was some music playing or whatever it was. And I think about the problems that we run into when we're ready to quit. We're ready to walk away. We're ready to turn away and say, you know what? This isn't working out. I thought it would work out and I'm going to leave now. I'm going to walk away. Let me ask you a question. How do you handle problems? How do you handle problems? When you have a problem in your life, some of you are just, you know, I'm going to outline all of the options and I'm going to work through all of it. That's just the way you're wired. How do you handle problems? I I think the challenge is we we may not expect a problem to occur or we may not expect a problem to occur at a certain place. Jesus made it really clear. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. Can you just say trouble? Trouble. Trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So Jesus makes it really clear that in this world, you're going to have problems. It's not realistic to think, you know what, Um, today I'm not going to have any problems, or this week I'm not going to have any problems, and a good day is no problems. Well, well, that's really idealistic. That's not realistic. That's idealistic. You're going to have problems in this world. What do you do when you have a problem in the church? What do you do when you have a problem in the church? What do you do when you have a problem with another Christian? I think the challenge is we have certain expectations. And if you have low expectations for someone and there's a problem, you're like, well, that's, that's because that's who they are. But what if you have higher expectations for someone, or maybe it's in the church and something happens and there's a problem, what do you do? You know, God is a problem solver. God is a problem solver. I like Jim Simbler, what he said. He says, God uses problems in our lives as channels of new blessings and also to bring about changes. I, I, I know problems reveal more about us than the actual problem. Problems expose our faith, expose our true nature. Depending on the size of the problem, it's more about us than the problem. That's what I've, disco- that's what I've discovered. You know what I've learned as I've worked through problems is I've learned a new dependence on God because of that problem. You know what I'm saying? I thought I was leaning on God, but when I went through that problem, I was leaning on God in a way that I never had before. I thought I had faith, but when I went through that problem, I learned even greater faith. <clears throat> I thought I knew my heart, but when I went through, my, through that problem, I saw my heart, and it wasn't pretty. And I, I said, God, I need you to touch my heart. I need you to make me holy, God. Because this problem is bringing out the worst in me. You know what I'm saying? Problems have a way of kind of holding up that mirror in front of you a little bit, and it shows who you really are. It's kind of like that sponge, you know, when you're washing the dishes, when you squeeze that sponge, you see what's inside of it. And if you just leave it on the counter, you don't know what's inside of it, but if you squeeze it. So, Acts chapter 6, that's where we're at. Looking at the early church, and uh, in my Bible, I have a note that I put down, and it's, 
It's from chapter 6 all the way to, through chapter 9, verse 31. There's persecution and expansion. Persecution and expansion. And in chapter 6, you read about a problem in the church. Now, you might think, no big deal, but the enemy loves to bring... Uh, the problems are normal, but the way we process problems, even in the church, is everything. And the enemy can come and he can divide a church. Churches are split today. People are no longer going to church because it started off with a problem. And they walked away, didn't know how to handle it. Chapter 6, verse 1, here it is. This is this. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, so it's growing church. Remember, they started off with 120 people. And then it grew, and then it grew, and now there's thousands, literally, and the church is growing. What happened? There were rumblings of discontent. Rumblings of discontent. So anytime you have a church with a vision, you can expect problems. Anytime. Anytime you have a church full of people that say, you know what, we're serious about reaching out to others, or you say, I'm really serious about growing in my walk with Jesus. I'm really serious about being the man God is calling me to be. I'm really serious about being the woman God is calling me to be. Anytime you make those kinds of claims and you say, let's come together, let's lock arms, let's win North Denver for Jesus, let's do something, you can expect problems. You can expect problems. Early church. The believers were rapidly multiplying, like rabbits, rapidly multiplying, and there were rumblings of discontent. Isn't that interesting? Like a good thing is happening, and you have people complaining. This is a good thing. You would think if a church maybe is declining, you have rumblings and discontent and, oh, if we only did this or if we only had this. I mean, if it's declining, but this is growing, it's going northeast and they're complaining. What are they complaining about? What's all this about? I want to, um, you know, I, I wonder like with those 120 members that have been there for a while, like what were they complaining about? I wonder if they were saying, you know what, when we were at 120, it was so much nicer. Now we have like 3,000, 5,000. It's changed so much. When we were back at 120, we knew everyone's name. And back at 120, we had everyone over our house. And I, I was able to talk to the pastor all the time. But now we're at 3,000, 5,000, and the music's too loud or whatever. I don't know. Just what were they complaining about? What were they complaining about? I want to talk a little bit about this complaining thing because it's a big deal in the eyes of God. In, a, in Exodus chapter 16, um, you read about the time when the Israelites are, are delivered from Egypt. And literally in chapter 15 of Exodus, they're singing this song. They are worshiping God because they just walked through dry land. Walk through the Red Sea, dry land. And they walk through it, and now they're just... In chapter 15, they're praising God. And in chapter 16, they're complaining Verse 3 says this. This is what they say. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt. They, they what church? They, <clears throat> there we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. But now you brought us into this wilderness to starve us all to death. So these guys are like, you know what? Being a slave wasn't that bad. 
there was fish and there was meat and all the bread we can eat and it was just like Olive Garden and it was really, really good and now we're in this desert. Yeah, 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 we just walked through this Red Sea, but now, right now, we're in the desert and they're complaining. They're complaining. Are you a complainer? Are you a complainer? Like, do people around you know you as someone who complains? Are you, are you a complainer? Do you know someone who complains? <clears throat> Don't give them your chicken wing. You know, they know who they are. <clears throat> do you complain when you have to work? Do you, do you complain when you have to help out around the house, you have to do dishes? Or do you complain when, when you have to, you know, serve? Do you complain, you know, when, when you come home from work? <clears throat> do you complain about church? Do you complain about church? Is it possible to be known as a Christian and a complainer? Is that possible? <clears throat> There's a big difference between someone who complains and expressing a concern. The difference is the spirit behind it. That's the difference. Some people are just naturally, it's, I think it's our human nature to focus on the problem. But others are saying, hey, how can we get better? How can we do this together? You keep reading in Exodus, and it says this. This is, this is what the Lord tells them. In the morning you will see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your complaints, which are against him, not against us. See, the nature of complaining, if you call yourself a Christian, then, then part of being a Christian is you are a child of God, and God loves you, and he cares about you. Knows the desires of your heart. He will, you may feel like you might be burned, but you're not going to get burnt. You may feel like you're going to drown, but he's going to hold you up. You may be going through something that's tough, but God's not going to forsake you. So it's this trust. In the midst of this problem, this problem will not overtake me because my God's love for me is so great. My God's love for me is so great. This problem is big, but my God's love and greatness and power is greater than my problem. And there's this trust that you have with God. That's why God takes it personal. That's why God takes it personal. <clears throat> it would really bother me if my kids said, gosh, I'm really concerned. I may not have any food tonight to eat. I would look at them and say, what, what are you kidding me? What are, you, what are you saying that for? Verse 8 says, Then Moses added, The Lord will give you meat to eat in the evening and bread to satisfy you in the morning. Here comes the manna. For he has heard all your complaints against him. What have we done? Yes, your complaints are against the Lord, not against us. Verse 9, Then Moses said to Aaron, Announce this to the entire community of Israel. Present yourself before the Lord, for he has heard your complaining. He's heard your complaining. God hears everything you say. Even in the privacy of your car and your home, God hears the words coming out of your mouth. He hears the words coming out of your mouth. Stephen Lee said, grumbling, whining, and thank thanklessness are not ultimately the heart's responses to circumstances, but to God. But to God. If you want to get over complaining, all you have to do is remember. Remember what God has done. Remember how far God has brought you. 
Remember what he's done in your life. If you remember what he's done in your life, you'll look at that problem today that you're facing and you're thinking, you know what? I've seen God move before. This is nothing. That's the beauty of walking with God. In fact, that's what, that's what God does with the Israelites over and over and over. God tells them, remember, 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 remember. Paul says this in Philippians chapter 2. Do everything. Let's read this out loud. This is a great one. Do everything. Whew, it's a big one, isn't it? I know it is. I know it is. You know what I love here at Thorn Creek? Thorn Creek, you guys lift me up in ways you don't even know. The Lord uses you. I keep bragging about our ministry partners. We have ministry partners here. You know, people who set all this up literally like two hours ago, showing up at Starbucks at 3 o'clock and setting all this up and moving this thing here from the hall and bringing in all of these metal chairs so you can sit comfortably. And you know, I mean, they do so much. And then they, they do church, and, and we do church at 6, and, and then we go rest at Chipotle or whatever, Tokyo Joe's, I don't know. And then we come back tomorrow and do it all over again. And, and then many of them, like 80%, are, are back, including the worship team. They help set up and tear down and do it all over again tomorrow. And, and then put them up in trailers. And then we go and we pick up signs at the corners and put them in the back of trucks. And you have different people. And, you know, I never hear anyone complain. Never. Our, our children's ministry team, they work with confined rooms, and literally there's three rooms that they use, and we have to be the invisible church, and we're taking pictures of where the table is on the tile, because it has to go back on that tile, and I never hear anyone complain. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And you know what's contagious? Those of you who've been serving for a long time here, You've just kind of gotten in this groove, and you just know, you know what we're about? We're about showing love to others. We're about showing love to others. And it's okay. We're showing love to others. And you know what you're teaching people who are brand new, who are coming here to Thorn Creek Church? When they complain because they're brand new, and they might be helping out or doing something or talking about there's no AC in here, whatever it is, they quickly, they quickly discover they're the only ones complaining, and you are, show, you are an example by your love. They see the way you serve. They see the way you smile, and they catch on. You are an example to them. <clears throat> One of the marks of a spiritually mature church is you don't hear much complaining. You don't hear much complaining. Verse 1. I'm going to read this in another version because... Another version, I was reading the New Living, but the NIV, New International Version, says it a different way. It says this, In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, it's the first time in the book of Acts the word disciples is used here. The Hellenistic Jews, among them complained against the Hebraic Jews. Why? Because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So there's two types of Jews here. Now, I want you to keep something in mind. Right now, Acts is all about Jewish people. It's about the Hebrews. The Gentiles, the Gentiles are really not mentioned in, they, don't, they haven't received the Holy Spirit. They haven't received this beautiful message until you get to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, and God uses Peter and Cornelius, and that's when you hear about the Gentiles coming into 
the, the, the branch and being grafted into the vine. But right now, it's just Jews. But there's two different types of Jews here. The Hellenistic Jews, these are Aramaic-speaking local Jewish men and women. The Hebraic Jews, excuse me, the Hebraic Jews. They're Aramaic-speaking local Jewish men and women. They read Hebrew scriptures. They hold tightly to Hebrew scriptures. They do church in their own synagogue. Now, there's another type of Jew, the Hellenistic Jews. The Hellenistic Jews are Greek-speaking Jews. And these are part of people who are known as the, as, as known as, as the diaspora. The diaspora means dispersion. These are, these are Jews that do not live in Jerusalem. The Hellenistic Jews. These are Jews that do not live in Jerusalem. And they're coming back to Jerusalem. And as they're coming back, they're, they're gathering with people who were like them. And they're Greek-speaking Jews. So you have like the native Jews like the native Coloradans, and you have the immigrants. They're also Jews, but they don't speak the right language. They speak Greek. <laughs> Literally, they speak Greek. So these widows, these widows, you have these Greek-speaking. I'm going to read the New Living now. Verse 1 says this, The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So even in the church, you have these widows who speak Greek and these widows who speak Hebrew, and the, and, and the Greek-speaking widows are saying, I feel overlooked. And in fact, the truth is, the Hebrew-speaking people feel like they're just a cut above the Greek-speaking Jews. They're just a cut above. Their, their blood's a little pure. They embrace the culture. They're a little bit better than those immigrants. And it was coming into the church. It was coming into the church. See, early on, you see, there's this us and them philosophy right here. You know what that looks like, don't you? This us and them. <clears throat> Where are you from? Are you a native? No? Okay. Us and them. Us and them. Who do you, do you vote? Are, are, are you pro this or are you against this? Are, are, you, are you pro this or against this? I'm trying to size you up. Are you with us or are you with them? I want to know. Latinos, black, Asians, whatever it is. And then we favor people based on their linkage to us. Naturally, that's our human nature. We favor people who seem most like us. I think you vote the right way. I think you act the right way. And even in the church, we can be guilty of this. You know what? It's us and them. <clears throat> Are you new to the church? Well, you're part of them. Us, we've been here for a long time. You, you dress like that or whatever it is, this us and them mentality can spread anywhere. It can spread anywhere. Don't favor people. Don't favor rich people. Don't favor poor people. Don't favor people because of the car they drive. Don't favor people because of the house they live in, their address. Don't favor people at all. God wants us to treat everyone the same. God loves everyone, and we all need the grace of God. I believe one of the devil's most popular strategies <coughs> is uh, <coughs> to bring this kind of division in the church, this kind of division. Verse 2 says this, so the 12 called a meeting for all the believers, right? So the problem is the Greek-speaking widows are saying, hey, we're feeling overlooked. 
We're getting the cold shoulder. It's not cool. So they called the 12 together, and they said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the Word of God, not running a food program. So it's important to understand. They, they, they wholeheartedly believe food needs to be distributed. It's not that they don't care about them, but what is the priority problem? The priority problem is it's affecting the spreading of the Word of God. That's the priority problem. See, the goal of the devil is to get you to focus on your wants, desires, and feelings. That's the goal of the enemy. Because if you are self-centered and you're just concerned about your wants, desires, and feelings, whether you're in the church or at work or at home or wherever you're at, you're just going to look to yourself and it's very consumer-driven mentality. It's very self-centered. It's very self-absorbed. And all you care about is your own self, your wants, desires, and feelings. And anything that threatens your wants, your desires, and your feelings, you push away, you get angry, whatever it is, you walk away from it because you can become very, it's just pride, it's just pride. It's as old as the devil. You become self-centered and that's what the enemy does over and over and over. And then everything becomes personal. Everything becomes personal. Here's the solution, verse three. And so brothers, (coughs) select seven men who are well-respected, and are, or what church are full of what? Are full of. We will give them this responsibility. They're just waiting, and they're, they're, like, they're like servers at a restaurant. They're distributing food to these widows, and the solution is let's find seven guys who are full of the spirit and wisdom to serve food. Verse 4 says this, Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. This blows me away, this idea of this full. What are you full of? (laughs) What are you full of? What are you full of? Do people know what you're full of around you? Do they know what you're full of? This idea of being full of the Spirit, this is a Surrendering to the Spirit of God. It's a surrendering to the Spirit of God. This idea of wisdom is the ability to judge correctly, to see people and circumstances through the eyes of God. That's wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's what Proverbs tells us. But wisdom is is the ability to discern right from wrong through God's eyes. There's a right and there's a wrong. That's wisdom. Wisdom is being able to see through all the muck and get to the heart of it and and be able to look at past the problem and say, this is the real problem. That's wisdom. God gives that wisdom. You can ask God for wisdom. You can ask God to be full of his spirit. You can say, Holy Spirit, I need you to fill me. I surrender to you. Holy Spirit, fill me. God, give me wisdom. The task that I have is too great. I need your wisdom, God. And verse 5 says this, everyone liked this idea, and they chose the following. Check this out. Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I read this to the, to the worship team when we were at Starbucks today, and I thought, wow, what a powerful reputation. I look at that, and I'm thinking, like, what would people say about Reuben? What would people say about you? 
This guy, Stephen, was a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. What are you full of? Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, Nicholas of Antioch, an earlier convert to the Jewish faith. You know what's interesting about this list of seven? It's like the dirty seven or something. You know what I mean? These guys, what's cool about this magnificent seven right here, these guys, they were, they were what was their task? To give food to Greek-speaking widows. To make sure that everyone, there was no favoritism. You got a chicken leg, I'm going to give you a chicken leg. You know what I mean? It was just that kind of thing. But, but the expectation was, pick someone who's full of the Spirit. Now, when you look at these two guys, Stephen is this guy, when you read about him in the next chapter, he becomes the first martyr of the faith. The very next chapter, he's literally stoned to death. What a horrible way to die. Stephen. Philip becomes the first missionary for the faith. The first missionary for the faith. Sometimes we approach certain um, serving opportunities. And in our minds, you might even rank them. And, and if we were looking at this need, how many of us would say, you know what? <clears throat> I'm a little bit too good for serving chicken wings around here. You know, I, that's not really my gift. I don't need to do that. And, but you look at Philip and you look at Stephen. These guys were, were proving faithfulness, to, proving to God that I'm faithful and I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do to the point that Stephen literally dies. Dies in stone. Literally. <clears throat> to avoid doing what he obviously leads us to do could mean and probably will mean we will miss out on the privilege of doing some other work for him. If you avoid, if, if God gives you an opportunity to serve and you avoid it and you say, nope, I'm a, little, I'm, a, you know, I'm a little above that, I don't need to do that, you very likely could be, very likely missing out on the privilege of personal spiritual growth in that task that could lead to greater things. They waited on tables. They waited on tables. But they, but they did it as godly people. They waited on tables. Verse 6 said, These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they what? As they laid their hands on them. Now, <clears throat> they already had the Holy Spirit in them. That's what, that's what we learned earlier, right? But when they laid their hands on them, they prayed for them that this was, they were representatives of the apostles for this specific task. So here's the result of all this. Verse 7 says this. So God's message continued to spread. There's the result of the whole thing. You might think, well, that was just a little problem. It could have been a big problem. It could have created division in the church could have been a big problem <clears throat> there were seven that said I'll do it there were seven there's the ultimate there's the bigger there's the bigger bigger cause the bigger mission so God's message continuing to spread the number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem and many of the Jewish 
priest were converted to. Has it ever dawned on you, has it ever dawned on you that working through your personal uh, problem could actually impact others? Your ability to work through that problem with God, your ability to say, you know what, we're going to work through this relationship problem. We're going to work, we're going to talk this out. We're going to work through this problem together. And your ability to work through that problem could impact hundreds. It's not just about you and your feelings and your wants and your desires. When you surrender to God and you say, God, use me any way you want, God. Use me any way you want. I'll bust tables for you, God, whatever you want. I'll do it all for your glory, God. God sees that and he sees your faithfulness. He sees your faithfulness. One of the marks of a healthy church, people are serving everywhere. People serve everywhere. They don't have to be strong-armed. They are just serving the Lord anywhere in kids' ministry. You might think what I do up here on stage is like the most important thing. You know what? I, I, will, I will beg to argue with you that there's this woman over there in the gym, over here in the, in the children's area, and she's holding, holding your baby. Just as important. Praying for that child. Every single position in the church is important. Do it with joy, serving the Lord, and the Lord sees your faithfulness in that position, just like he did with Philip, just like he did with Stephen, and God will use you for even greater and greater and greater and greater things. Don't miss out on the opportunity God has in front of you. God's message spread and continue to spread. Well, Jesus, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your church, God. We look back at this early church and the problems they faced, and and uh, I'm so grateful, God. <laughs> I'm so grateful for your grace. And right now, Lord, I just feel a burden to pray for Thorn Creek Church. Lord, you have uh, supernaturally drawn these people here to this church. It's not by accident, God. Would you stir each heart, God? Some people are serving quite a bit and other people are not serving at all. Would you stir the heart of the one who's not serving at all, the one who's been waiting for the perfect circumstances? And if that's you, and if you're ready to just be faithful to what's in front of you, would you just tell God, God, I'm willing to serve. Make that your prayer. Say, God, I'm willing to serve. Maybe you're one who complains. Would you say this prayer? God, help me to do everything with joy. Help me to remember what you've done in my life. When I'm tempted to complain, help me to reflect on your faithfulness, God. Change my heart, God. Forgive me for the times that I have complained and maybe too much, God. I'm truly grateful for everything you've done in my life. Thank you for your patience for me. God, I pray that you just use this church in a mighty way. We read this church in Acts chapter 6, how the gospel spread and continued to grow. And I just pray for that kind, for that favor here, Lord, here at Thorn Creek. May many people come to know you, Jesus, through this body in a way we've never seen. 
So thank you, God, for your faithfulness. Lord, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Each year, thousands of Thorn Creek Church messages are downloaded for free. This ministry is generously supported by Thorn Creek Church members and listeners like you. If you'd like to support this ministry, please consider making a tax-deductible donation by visiting thorncreek.church/give.